Hey guys, welcome back to Two Girls in a Podcast. I'm your co-host Katie. And I'm Jen. And we're back today to um, talk about true crime. Yeah. So it's mostly going to be, um, I think the last time with the true crime, we did one other true crime. Jen um, told stories and I listened and then we just kind of talked about it sort yeah. of thing. So that's kind of how we're... That's kind of how we're going to go. Um, so I'm going to let Jen take over because she has three particular stories based in the states that we live in, or just the yes. one state. Um, it's, they're all North Carolina-based. Okay, so North Carolina-based one. Yeah. Um, I'm a South Carolinian. Well, yeah. I am a North Carolinian <laughs> by birth. <Yeah. laughs> but, so we're from the state we, we're, we're from. Yes, yes. Know, so. so, yeah. So, um, I'm going to let Jen take over. Okay. (laughs) So, I found three different stories I wanted to talk about today. Um, Just, like, a different viewpoint. So, I have, like, a murder, a serial killer, and a missing person case Mm -hmm. that are all based in North Carolina. So, some of these I had never heard of. um, So, I'm not sure if Katie has, but we're going to find out. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay. So, the first one is, um, people call it the Christmas Day Family Massacre. And um, this actually take, took place a long time ago in 1929. Okay. So it was definitely, you know, a different time, different place, you know, whatever. Um, but the the story is that this man named Charles Lawson, um, he brutally murdered his wife and six of his seven children. Oh. Yes. Um, and unfortunately, his motive for the massacre is one of, it was considered North Carolina's greatest mysteries. Because he, um, he, when he committed this crime, he did end up killing himself afterwards. And no one really knows the, the whole reason, like, why. But this is the story, so I'm going to tell you about it. Um, so, it says, according to reports, Lawson owned a farm near Germanton. And because they struggled financially, the family lived a very no-frills lifestyle. Yet, in the weeks before Christmas, Lawson drove his family to Winston-Salem and bought new clothes for everyone and had them sit for a family portrait, something extremely out of character for the frugal farmer. And, um, so I'm going to show Katie, and, um, there's a picture of the family with the, um, the family okay. portrait they took. So, dad. that's the dad, mom, and then this is the kids, and this is, like, the older kids. Okay. So. All right. It's a very interesting picture. So. Sure is. We can probably put it on our Instagram so everybody can yeah. see it. <clears throat> yeah. We'll do that. Or whatever. But. And we're also going to link these. Yes. The, articles. Yeah. Where they're coming from. Yes. This one's coming from the News Observer. Um, <clears throat> okay. Another creepy photo. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm trying to figure, you know, because it looks like the, the two older siblings are like way older. Yeah. Like I'm like they yeah. look like they could be husband and wife themselves. I think they are. I think she was 17 and then the next one's like I don't know. They say the edges or whatever but okay. like 13 or something. And I think he's like 18 or something. Okay. So he's not much older okay. than, than her. But yeah, they do look a lot older. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So after they had this nice picture. So on Christmas morning Sometime after, um, like it says, the oldest daughter, Marie, bakes a special cake that is topped with raisins. The oldest son, Arthur, went into town to buy ammunition for a hunting trip. While Arthur was gone, Lawson killed the entire remaining family by shooting and bludgeoning them to death. Um, the victims are Fanny, which is the mother, who is 37, Marie, the oldest ch- um, child was 17, Carrie, 12, Maybell, 7, James, 4, Raymond, 2, and Mary Lou was 4 months old. After killing his family, Lawson walked into the nearby woods and shot himself to death. 
And could you imagine being the oldest son and coming back to that? I know. It's very, very sad. And this was actually what I thought was really interesting was what happened after the family was killed. Um, The entire family was buried in a mass grave in Germantown. Interest in the murder was so extreme that Charles Lawson's brother began charging 25 cents for admission to tour the crime scene. Oh, my gosh. I know. (laughs) And sightseers traveled there from miles around to walk through Lawson home. Some tourists even stole souvenir raisins from the top of the Christmas cake, which had sat undisturbed on the kitchen table. A glass dome was placed over the cake, and it sat on display in the home for years. Surviving son Arthur died in an automobile accident in 1945 at age 31. Goodness. So, very sad. Charles like an ill-fated family in general. Goodness. Exactly. Yep. Um, and then the big thing is that Charles Lawson's motives in the killing remain a mystery, but some point to a head injury he suffered in the years before the murder, which family members said changed his personality. Mm. Um, and then there was also a book that was written in 1990 that says that's called White Christmas, Bloody Christmas. And this said that Lawson family members had said there was an old family rumor that Charles Lawson had gotten his daughter Marie pregnant and he killed the family to hide the horrible secret. Oh my gosh. So... Ugh. <laughs> Again, it was yeah. you know hearsay, like mm-hmm. you said, and sure. people don't know what really happens, yeah. but it is very sad. Well, kind of, why would he leave the son alive? Um, I'm not sure. The only other thing I can think of is that maybe he wanted his bloodline to continue, his lineage. That makes sense. You know, okay. and um, but like you said, don't know if he had a family because mm-hmm. he um, died. It. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't list if he had a family or not, but. Um, I mean, it's a very sad story and very something like, you know, I know there was a, um, so on Netflix, there's the Unsolved Mysteries Mm -hmm. thing. And there was one that was called the House of Horrors. And this dad killed his whole family. And he um, originally killed all of them except for his oldest son, um, who was away at college at the time. And they had talked about, he would maybe had thought he wasn't going to kill the oldest son. Mm -hmm. And he ended up luring the son home and killed him anyway but they thought maybe he was gonna leave him alive to continue his yeah. family name so yeah. people don't know much about um what is it patricide no that's that's killing your father what's killing your family i have absolutely no i, I no idea <laughs> i can't think Do of the name look it up? i don't really want to look it up there's though. like a family annihilator um is what like that's what remember people were calling chris watts yeah. That killed his... But there's also another name for it when you, like, kill your family and then kill yourself, but... Okay. Um, but it's... People don't really know motives behind those. Right. A lot of times it's financial, but it could be, like they said, maybe the head injury. Yeah. Maybe the... Maybe it really mental was problems. True. I mean, mental yeah. problems happened, I'm sure, back then. Oh, yeah. For and sure. It's definitely not, you know, diagnosed no, or anything like that. No, definitely not. So. Interesting headline, though, that Berserk Farmer hacks his six children to death. Could you imagine that being the headline <laughs> of some newspaper article that we read? Yeah. That was, I just thought that was interesting. A um, very sad story, and it happens, sure you know, here in North Carolina. Um, I'm not even sure if it said... It just says Stokes County. I'm not exactly sure where that is. Yeah. So, but somewhere in North Carolina. It said it's near Germantown. Yes. Germantown. So I'm not sure where that is. I'm not sure where that is. (laughs) But somewhere in North Carolina. Yeah. So, um, but it was just very interesting. So, I mean, he did, I guess it was near Winston-Salem because it does say that he goes to Winston-Salem to get their clothes. Yeah. So, not too far from where we live. So, um, 
Okay. And the next one we're going to talk about is a serial killer, which is crazy to think that there was a serial killer in North Carolina, but it was. Yes, it's very close. So there it is. There's oh, Winston wow. Salem and there's that. Okay. Yeah. So, so, yeah. I wonder if that house is still there. <laughs> you wonder. I know. If you can still take tours of it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> okay, it's still sitting under a glass dome. Exactly. Okay. <clears throat> Um, so the next one we're going to talk about is a serial killer. His name is Henry Lewis Wallace. Um, he was known as the Taco Bell Strangler. So very hmm. interesting name. Um, and it was in Charlotte, you know, North Carolina. So he was a man. He joined the Navy in 1985. And he ended up marrying his high school sweetheart in the same year. And then in 1992, he was honorably discharged from the Navy. But during his time in the Navy, that's when he started getting into drugs and, um, like, crack and Mm -hmm. everything. So he kind of started, you know, leading the bad life, you know, heading down the wrong way. Yeah. So um, he was served um, several warrants for burglaries in and around Seattle. Um, And in 1988, he was arrested for breaking into a hardware store. So he kind of was, like, you know, doing bad things here and there or whatever. Um, but he didn't get much time. He was only served two years of supervised probation for those things. So he didn't actually serve any jail time for that. Um, on March 8th, 1990 is he murdered, um, Tashonda Beth, Bethu. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Um, it was a high school student. He dumped her body in a lake in his hometown. It was not until several weeks later that her body was discovered. Uh, he was questioned by police regarding her disappearance and death, but was never formally charged in her murder. He was also questioned in connection with the attempted rape of a 16-year-old Barnwell girl, but was never charged for that either. By that time, his marriage had fallen apart, and he was fired from his job. So, he was already heading down the wrong path, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. it's um And to kill, like, young girls like that, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, and it says in, in November 1991 is when he relocated to Charlotte, North Carolina, and he found several jobs at fast food restaurants. So I'm assuming that's like kind of where the Taco Bell thing. Yeah, came from. exactly. Yeah. Um, in May of 1992, he picked up Sharon Nance, a convicted drug dealer and prostitute. When she demanded payment for her services, Wallace beat her to death then dropped her body by the railroad tracks. She was found a few days later in June of 1992, which is, you know, one month after, yeah. he raped and strangled Caroline Love at her apartment, then dumped her body in a wooded area. Love was a friend of Wallace's girlfriend at the time, and she worked at Bojangles. So he was kind of all around the, the yeah. fast food things we got yeah. going on there. So, um, and um, her body was also discovered in a wooded area in, in Charlotte. And on February 19th, 1993, which is, again, not much longer right. after, you know, so it was very close together. Wallace strangled Shauna Hawk at her home after um, having sex with her and later went to her funeral. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, that's sad. Um, Hawk worked at Taco Bell, where Wallace was her supervisor. In March of 1993, Hawk's mother, Dee Sumter, and her grandmother, Judy Williams, founded Mothers of Murdered Offspring, a Charlotte-based support group for parents of murdered children. So, that's nice that Mm -hmm. that happened, but obviously not nice what happened to their daughter. Right. On June of twenty second, he raped and strangled coworker Audrey Spain. Her body was found two days later. So it's crazy that these things are happening so close together, yeah. and no one know, knows that's him. Right. And it's he's killed two coworkers now. You know. Yeah. So you think he would maybe be on the list? Right. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
On August 10th, 1993, which is not even a month later, mm-hmm. Wallace raped and strangled Valencia M. Jumper, 20, a 21-year-old college student from Columbia, South Carolina. He was a friend of his sister's, then set her on fire to cover up her crime. Oh, my gosh. I know. A few days after the murder, he and his sister went to Valencia's funeral, even sending her family condolences. So oh, what a sick individual. It is. And I know that they've mentioned that before, that serial killers like to come to vigils mm-hmm. or, or vigil, vigils, and they like to come to the funerals and, like, they like to come back to the crime scenes and stuff like that. Like, they can't stay away. They like to relive, you know. Wow. And it's so sad. All right. A month later, in September of 1993, he went to the apartment of Michelle Stinson, a struggling college student and single mother of two sons. Stinson was a friend of his from Taco Bell. He raped her and then sometime later strangled and stabbed her in front of her oldest son. That's crazy. You oh know? That's sad. Um, and then on February 4th of 1994, Wallace was arrested for shoplifting, but police had not made a connection between him and the murders. So he was in custody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there he was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, on February 20th, which is, again, not very long, not long after. He just didn't care. He no, was just he like, whatever, you no. know. Wallace raped and strangled Vanessa Little Mac in her apartment. He knew her through her sister, who was a co-worker of Henry at Taco Bell. Mac and two daughters, age seven and four months. Oh, sorry. Mac had two daughters at the age seven and four months at the time of her death. Oh, my gosh. Very sad. <clears throat> again, a co-worker. Yeah. <laughs> At Taco Bell, and no yeah, one notices. I know. They're like, three women have died. I'm like, what's mm-hmm. going on? Nothing. Um, on March 8th, 1994, Wallace robbed, raped, and strangled Betty Jean Balkum. Balkum and Wallace's girlfriend were co-workers. She was living in Charlotte for at least six months with her three-year-old daughter. She was originally from Laurel Hill, NC. After he murdered her, he took valuables from the house, then left the apartment with her car. He pawned everything except the car, which he left at a local shopping center across the street from the lake apartments. That's crazy. <laughs> so he's just like doing everything that like how he's not getting caught. I, know. I don't understand. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like at this point he was getting a high off of it. Exactly. The adrenaline he was getting from all of it was, yeah, for him to do it. That's a lot of people. Yeah. It's very, I mean, for you to be able to do it anyway. Oh yeah. To do that many. In, in such a, a short, a short yeah. amount of time. Yeah, very crazy. Um, Wallace went back to the same apartment complex on the night of March 8th, 1994, knowing that Bernice Woods would be at work so he could murder his girlfriend, Brandy June Henderson. Miss Henderson was a student and a homemaker taking care of her in- infant son. They lived at the Lake Apartments for one month after moving there in February 1994. Wallace raped Henderson while she held her baby and then strangled her. He also strangled her son, but he survived. Afterwards, he took some valuables from the apartment and left. Oh, my gosh. So, he almost tried to kill a child now, so that's crazy. Oh, my gosh. So terrible. The police increased their patrols in East Charlotte after two bodies of young black women were found in the Lake Lake Apartment Complex. Even so, Wallace sneaked through to rob and strangle Deborah Ann Slaughter, who had been a co-worker of his girlfriend and stabbed her 38 times in the stomach and chest. Her body was found on March 12, 1994. That's crazy. So Wallace was arrested finally on March 13th, 1994. For 12 hours, he confessed to the murders of 10 women in Charlotte. He then confessed to an 11th murder he committed before moving to Charlotte. He described in detail the woman's disappearance, appearances, how he raped, robbed, and killed the women, and his crack habit. Oh my gosh. I know. It's crazy. So he was tried, obviously convicted. 
And he was sentenced to death for, I think he was sentenced to death for every single murder. Um, let me go through and see what it says. But he's still on death row. He's still on death row. Yes. Um, it says, over the next two years, Wallace's trial was delayed over choice of venue, DNA evidence from murder victims, and jury selection. His trial began in September 1996. In the opening arguments, prosecutor Marsha Goodnow argued for the death penalty, while defense attorney Isabel Day asked for a life sentence, arguing that Wallace suffered from mental illness and that the killings were not first-degree murder because they did not result from premeditation and deliberation. So, it seemed like he was uh, premeditating those. Oh, I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> so, okay. On January 7th, 1997, Wallace was found guilty of nine murders. On January 29th, he was sentenced to nine death sentences. Following his sentencing, Wallace made a statement to his victims' families. He said, none of these women, none of your daughters, mothers, sisters, or family members in any way deserved what they got. They did nothing to me that warranted their death. All right, and so he is currently on death row, and it says on June 5th, 1998, Wallace married a former prison nurse, Rebecca Torres, in a ceremony next to the execution chamber where he was has been sentenced to die. That's crazy. <laughs> I don't know why you would marry somebody right. on death row that was a serial killer. Right. People are just... Yeah, well... Crazy. <laughs> but it yeah. does say since being sentenced to death in 1997, Wallace has been appealing to the courts to overturn the death sentences, stating that his confessions were coerced and his constitutional rights were violated in the process. Whatever. The, I know, right? The North Carolina Supreme Court upheld the death sentences in 2000. The U.S. Supreme Court in 2001 denied his appeal. In 2005, Superior Court Judge Charles Lamb rejected Wallace's latest appeal to overturn his conviction and nine death sentences. He deserved. He should have already been dead. Yeah, I know. It's been a long time now, yeah. so you think it's got to be coming up. I don't know how many more appeals he has or anything like that. It looks like it's gone pretty far mm-hmm. up there, and everything's been um, denied. So yeah. I'm pretty sure it all continue to be denied. Absolutely. And he will be, you know, Whatever killed. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. So he's being held in Raleigh, um, mm-hmm. it said. So at the central prison in Raleigh, awaiting execution. And he's only 54, so he was young when he was doing all this. Yeah. You know? So, like, when was he born? 65. 65, yeah. You know, yeah. this is all happening in, like, 90, you know, the 90s and stuff. So, so span of crimes, March 8, 1990 to March 8, 1994. Wow. So, for four years, he's he 25. killed 10 women. Yeah, exactly. Young. It's crazy. I just thought it was very, very, you know, I never heard about any of this. Mm-hmm. So, it's crazy that he was, like, serial killer that, you know, had done... Right. A lot, you know, mm-hmm. and everything. And he, you know, is on death row. Wow. In, in Raleigh. So, just an interesting case, I it thought. It sure is. So, yeah. And very sad. Very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that all came from Wikipedia, if anybody wants to know. <laughs> <laughs> I will link that in the show notes. So, um, but just an interesting case. All right. So our last case we're going to talk about is a missing person case. And this was actually very um, prominent. Yeah. Like, it was a very big case when this happened. I remember hearing about all this when it when he first went missing. And I actually know people who were friends with him mm-hmm. um, when he went missing. So it, it's very, you know, it's kind of like one step away kind of thing. Right, it's very yeah. weird. But um, so this is the case of Kyle Fleischman. All right. So he was... Um, and this he, was a national thing, too. It was. It was a big thing. It was a big thing. And there was a show of it on um, 
like a show I watched on ID Channel called Disappeared, mm-hmm. and he was featured on there. I think he's had a few ID Channel specials done, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it was definitely national news. Yeah. People people knew about this for a while, but <clears throat> so he was a um, young man. Um, I'm not sure how old he was at the time of his disappearance. So when was he born? 1983. So when was he, he in 2007? So 2007. So he would have been 22ish. Okay, so he was young. No, he's 24. Oh, 24. You're right. Yeah, he's 24 there. Okay, so he was a 24-year-old man. He disappeared from Charlotte, North Carolina on um, November 9th, 2007. So I'm going to read you um, the details of his disappearance. This is from the Charlie Project, and I've mentioned this before on this show, but um, I love this site. I, I, if I could give money, like, you know, if I had a lot of money to give, I would give it to this site. I think they do a lot of work. They give a lot of um, information. They really do try to find missing people. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a, an important important thing and I will definitely link them below um but this is what they state so Fleischman was last seen at Buckhead Saloon in Uptown Charlotte North Carolina on November 9th 2007 he had gone there with friends after attending a show and I know he was at the Dane Cook show mm-hmm. he was seeing him in town and then he became separated from the group and his friends went home the bar surveillance camera showed that Fleischman left alone at 2 20 a.m and got into a cab at Tryon Street he kept making cellular phone calls after he left the bar, and phone records indicate that he was still in the Uptown area during this time. According to Fleischman's father, he was seen outside the Fuel Pizza restaurant down the block after he left the saloon, and his image was captured on surveillance tapes. An employee there remembers Fleischman coming inside the restaurant at 2.30 a.m. He was alone and ordered two slices of pizza. The employee didn't see him leave. A cab driver thinks he saw a man fitting Fleischman's description walking on North Davidson Street at 3.25 a.m., but he couldn't say for sure whether the man he saw was Fleischman. The last time Fleischman used his cellular phone was 3.30 a.m. when he called his roommate and his sister. They didn't answer, and he didn't leave any messages. Since then, his cellular phone has been turned off, and there has not been any activity on his bank accounts. He left his debit card and his coat at the bar and left his parked car at a friend's house. But he is believed to have been carrying his black leather wallet, his car keys, and approximately $6 in cash. He was reported missing the next day when he did not show up for work at Fidelity Investments, an investment firm where he was an executive. He lived in a condominium with roommates, none of whom are considered suspects in his disappearance. Fleischman is described as a responsible man and it's entirely uncharacteristic of him to leave without warning. At the time of his disappearance, his mother was undergoing treatment for breast cancer and he kept in close touch with her as a result. He wasn't having any personal or financial problems and appeared to be in good spirits the day he went missing. Fleischman is a 2006 graduate of Elon University where he majored in business administration and was a member of Kappa Alpha fraternity. His case remains unsolved. His parents believe he was probably murdered. So it's just a very, very sad case, especially Mm -hmm. because there's very little details. Very little. Yeah. I mean, they have absolutely zero idea what happened to him. Yeah. So I also agree that he was... Definitely murdered. Yeah. You know, I'm sure he was probably murdered that night. Yeah. And I don't know why. I don't know what happened. I did read on another website that he was, he had gotten into a fight at the bar, mm-hmm. kind of over a girl or something. So I don't know how true that is. I only read it on one website. Um, but they had mentioned that if he had gotten in a fight, maybe the guys retaliated and something happened and he was murdered and then he just threw his body somewhere. Yeah. So, like you mentioned, um, people have said that he's buried under the epicenter. Yeah, because there was huge construction going on, building a huge epicenter yeah. in downtown Charlotte at that time. Yeah. And um, people think that they put him, or put his body 
in that area. Exactly. Yeah. Which I definitely could see that happening. Yeah, because nobody would have noticed, really, especially depending on where they put them. Exactly. Like, hitting them under something, and then he was concrete over yeah. them and everything like that. Right. So, it's... And I know that he was walking in a very bad area of, of um, Charlotte, so it could have been... He was robbed and murdered, and, you know... The only thing with that is I feel like if it was a random rob and murder, we would have found his body. Yeah. I feel like if he was robbed or something like that, like, people would have... Why would you hide the body? Right. I feel like you're going to leave more evidence by doing that. Mm-hmm. Rather than if you, like, were to shoot somebody and he died or whatever, you would just run away. So... Right. That's why I don't believe that. And um, people have said that maybe when he was walking, he was hit on the road. Maybe. And stuff. But the only thing with that is I feel like it would attract some attention. Right. Like, hitting someone on a... You know how busy Charlotte is. Oh, yeah. And I know it was 3.30 in the morning, but, but still... It's busy down still in Charlotte. Yeah. yeah. People are still in bars, and he was in a very crowded part of town. Mm-hmm. So, I just feel like it would have caused... And it would have been something. There was no blood anywhere, no debris. They didn't find anything that right. maybe... No one would have been able to clean up a crime scene on this on in the middle of Charlotte. Right. You know, on those one-way streets and all that stuff. Somebody would have seen something. So, the, I think the best thing is that he was killed by maybe an altercation, like you said, put somewhere, buried something, you know, like... Threw his body somewhere that no one's ever found it. Right. You know? And who knows, it may happen one day that somebody comes across it, depending on where it is, but... Yep. Yeah. I mean, if it's, like, under epicenter, I don't know if that'll yeah. <laughs> ever that'll happen. happen. No one's yeah. going to really take that apart, you know? Yeah. Unless they get those... I know they've been developing those, um, like, sonar penetrating things that they can, like, go under and see if the ground's been disturbed. Okay. But the only thing is, I wonder, because of the construction, if that would even right. show... I don't, I'm sure, I feel like eventually they'll get technology where they can go down and see if there's bones or something. Yeah. Like, and tell, like, or imaging to see, like, what it is, you know? Right. So, that would be probably the only way, you know? But it is very sad, because he was a young, good-looking man, Mm -hmm. you know? Probably had the world ahead of him, 24. Yeah. Living uptown in Charlotte, you know? And it was a, you know... Like, Charlotte was up and coming, you know? Right. Big time then and stuff. And For sure. Just to have a, a fun out, you know, eating, evening with friends and then to go missing. And to die, just, yeah. yeah. I mean, you never know what your, what hand you're dealt in life. Yeah. For sure. But that's, that's unfair. It is. Very yeah. much so. And it's sad. And it's, it's just sad there's no closure. Yeah. I feel like that's the Especially worst. family. Yeah. Because I know yeah. a lot of people said, like, when people go missing... Even if the person is dead, unfortunately, they would like to know. Yeah. And have the body to bury it and the closure right. and stuff like that. I think the worst is when you don't know. Even right. if you speculate that he's missing. I mean, that he's been murdered. Right. But there's this small chance yeah. that he's still out there sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, like there's that little teeny bit, you know, and I'm sure like families try to hold on to it. Like maybe he walked away. Maybe yeah. he, you know, I mean, it's very, very, very unlikely since he had so much going for him. Yeah. Why you would kind of walk away from that, but I've read a lot of like interesting missing people things like that, and you never know, you never know mm-hmm. like, what somebody did or or wanted to do or what they were suffering from or anything. So, mm-hmm. um, but I do hope that one day his his crime will be solved and somebody will figure out. It's what been a long time, two thousand seven, exactly. Yeah, yeah. but. Um, but yeah, so that's three cases. Yeah, North Carolina based. Yeah, you know? so yeah. Um, I think it's good to get exposure out there, especially for the Kyle Fleischman, because mm-hmm. maybe there is somebody out there that who knows a little bit, 
and just never came forward. Memory yeah. was scared. They know, somebody has to know something. Oh know? yeah, somebody knows something. You know? Yeah. yeah. So it's just like hopefully one day they'll tell the wrong person, mm-hmm. or if it's multiple people, somebody will you know grow a conscience and be like, I need to just tell people what's yeah. going on. You know? Yeah. And then they'll let them know. So, um, but yeah, so they were all just really sad and, you know, like topics like this or whatever. But like I said, it's good to get the, um, it out there, let people know, stuff like that. So, um, we'll link all the, um, all these articles in the show notes and I'll also link, um, Kyle Fleischman's Facebook page and, um, any tip lines that are out there. I'm Mm -hmm. sure there, there are some out there to let people know, like if you have any information, Especially if you're listening to it and we're in this area, you know, so it's somebody in this area. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I don't know if they're still in this area, but they were at the time, you know, so. All right. Well, thank you, um, everybody, for listening to our stories today. Um, I love doing this true crime stuff. (laughs) So uh, hopefully we'll have more of it in the future. And, um, you know, if there's anything that you want us to cover, any true crime stories that you're really interested in, please let us know. I am always on the lookout for things that are, um, you know, new, new missing people, new things, new cases that I can read up on. And um, anything that you feel like we you know, want us to cover, we can definitely work on doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and just leave us a comment on any of the podcast apps any of the social media apps. Um, we're on everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you can visit our Patreon page, we would really love it. We have a, a video up there. You know, it's kind of more of a personal video for me and Katie um, that we won't talk about on the podcast. So you can get some behind-the-scenes stuff. We're, we have more future things that are going to be going up there soon. So any support you can give us is always greatly appreciated. Mm-hmm. And um, thank you again to all our Instagram followers and all the people that comment and love, you know, love our pictures mm-hmm. and love our posts and support us and listen to the, you know, the podcast every week. We are greatly um, appreciative of everyone. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we have a lot of ideas for the future. So we, we want to keep doing this as long as possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. And until next time.